Oh boy, summer vacation is soon coming to a close. And if you're like us, you've been thinking about that first day for the last week or so. You've prepared activities, organized classrooms, laminated everything you can get your hands on, scrounged the internet for the best deal on dry erase markers. School is back in, and we want to dedicate this episode to the first day of class. We are sharing our go-to activities and strategies to start the school year off right that help you inspire curiosity, build trust and support for your students, and paint them a picture of what your math class will look like regularly. We've got a jam-packed, resource-rich episode for you today to help you get going on day one and beyond. But before we get into it, let's... Hit it! Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who together... With you, the community of educators worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. John, I am super excited for this episode. It's just you and me, and we get to chat about the start of the school year. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, I'm pumped. I am pumped because the school year start day is for you and us and everybody out there. It's like we're on edge a little bit. We're a little bit nervous. You're a little bit excited. It's a great day. But before we get into those first day activities, we want to announce that the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast is excited to bring you you another giveaway this time with whitebook our source for whitebook flip charts that's right you can easily post whiteboards anywhere in your room and easily bring them with you on the go too whitebook is offering you the math moment maker community the chance to win one of five flip chart packs plus a special 50 percent discount on flip chart packs for everyone who enters the giveaway you can get in on the giveaway by visiting makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway by wednesday august 28th 2019. Listening after Wednesday, August 28th, 2019. No sweat. We are always actively running giveaways. So check out makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway to learn about the current giveaway that we are running. Don't miss out. Dive in at makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. One last thing we want to do before we dive in is say hello to L Shaw 917 who left us a fantastic five-star review on iTunes. L Shaw says philosophy on point. I accidentally started this podcast with episode 14, but I'm glad I did because I learned that we share the same philosophy on math education. I then went back to episode one and I'm excited to listen to the entire series. I have so many questions and comments, but we'll hold them until I'm finished listening. Thank you guys so much for creating this. I've been searching and wanting or waiting, it says, for a math education series podcast that resonates with me and my hopes for a better more curious math classroom. You've done it. Thank you so much to Elshaw for leaving this review on iTunes. These are so helpful for us to reach a 
larger audience. So do us a huge favor and whatever podcast platform you're on, go ahead and rate the podcast as well as leave us a review so we can reach that wider audience and make more math moments that matter for students. Awesome stuff. All right, let's dive into our first day activities and talking about what we should be doing on the first day and what that first day could look like. Before we get into all of the things and the resource-rich stuff that we're going to share with you today, let's talk about what we used to do at the start of the school year. Kyle, what did you do to start off day one? Like, Think back to old Kyle, Kyle before he started to make those changes to inspire students on curiosity and you know fuel student sense-making and think about teacher moves. Kyle, what did you do on day one in the old school? Well, anyone who's listened to the podcast before knows that like I'm an open book when it comes to how I taught for a good chunk of my career. And, you know, my first day would probably sound a lot like what I experienced as well as probably what a lot of other people have probably experienced and maybe even are doing currently, you know, and we're coming from secondary as well from high school. So in the math or in the uh, high school classroom, oftentimes that first day, like I could not imagine being a student on the first day of school in high school where they go class to class. And in many cases, it's like maybe a small activity, but most of the time it's like, first thing you get is that syllabus. It's like all of those pieces of the course and the content that you're going to be covering something, you know, even says how many days is going to be committed to every piece of content, as well as how your assessment and evaluation weighting are going to be aligned, like tests are going to be worth this and quizzes are going to be worth that and final exam and projects, all of those things. And then I would dive right into rules and procedures. Like I would actually get to like, here's how things are going to work in this class. You know, you got to do it. It's almost like when you go to, uh, you know, I brought my kids to this place called Springs. It's like a trampoline place. And at the beginning, they get there and they sort of lay them out the rules of what they can and can't do because of safety and all of those things. But even at Springs, they managed to do it within like two minutes. But yet for me as a high school teacher, I would like stretch these rules and procedures, like hitting every single tiny detail of what may happen in the class, even if it might only happen like, I don't know, two months from now, it was like I made sure to cover it because I wanted to have all my bases covered. It made me feel comfortable. It made me feel confident. And basically, we were sending this message to students like, hey, listen, you are in my math class and Mr. Pierce isn't going to put up with any sort of mischievous behavior. I'm not going to put up with lates. Like if you're late, here's what's going to happen. And, you know, I would lay all these things out, trying to be as transparent as possible, trying to do a good job. It wasn't like I was intending to bore kids, but at the end of the day, what we realized or what I realized over time was that first day really set sort of like a, I don't want to necessarily say it was a negative tone, but it was definitely a flat tone, right? Like kids weren't leaving my class on the first day of school going home and saying, wow, I can't wait for math class. Like I would try to make it funny. That was one thing I would do. I'd throw some jokes in. And so kids got to know my personality a little bit, which is fine. But at the end of the day, I don't really think kids were like busting out of their classroom doors and saying like, wow, I can't wait to get back in there tomorrow to do some more math learning. Like, John, does any of that relate to what you were doing on the first day of school? 
For sure. In almost identical. But you know, like what we were doing is, it's like you said, you're painting the picture to that student of what that is going to look like every day for the next semester or in the next year. Like what you're doing is you're showing them without, like you might be saying, this is how class is going to run, but they're also getting that mental image of this is the way it's actually going to be every day. The teacher is going to deliver the important information and we're going to hear, listen and ask questions, you know, take notes. And that's what you're doing on day one when you go through the syllabus, right? You're kind of giving that important information. You're throwing it out there. Hey, kids, what questions do you have right now? And then I can help you with that. And then it's like probably what I used to do, Kyle, adding to that is depending on the class, I'd get into work. And, you know, that question kids are having is like, are we going to do any math today? You know, after I delivered all those rules and procedures and like, when is it appropriate to go to the bathroom and when is it not? I would be like, okay, let's get into reviewing concepts from the last year. So it would be like, I would give a lesson. I'd be like, let's dive right in and do a lesson on grade eight stuff or grade nine stuff, depending on the year or the class I taught. I would want to get right to the content as quickly as possible. So we were painting a picture of what class would look like. And, you know, I'm thinking I equate now and we want to kind of move towards like what we do now and give you some of those resources which is what this episode is all about. But sometimes we want to equate like what that looks like in the business world. You know, there's a lot of new ideas coming out on when you get hired to a job the first time, like your first day of work. And if you think about that first day of work in a business setting or in any kind of job, maybe not teaching, because, you know, your first day of work of teaching, you're jumping into the classroom right away. But if you had a job that was not teaching beforehand, like think about what that first day of work looked like. Some companies, you know, you come in and you're like waiting to talk to the boss or you meet your supervisor and it could be a while. They're going to go through the list of things that you can and can't do right off the bat. Or maybe you have a week of like orientation where you're in class, like a classroom setting, kind of doing the same type of thing. It could also be like you're worried about who you're going to eat lunch with. Like think about how inclusive some of those first days might look like versus what some companies are doing now. Like we read a book recently by Simon Sinek called Leaders Eat Last. And in that book, he describes that onboarding process. Like if you're going to be a great leader in a work environment, do you want your employees coming in? painting a picture of what that work environment is going to look like, like they're waiting for the boss and they're being told the rules and the procedures that they're basically told all the how, like, how is it going to look that day? How are you going to do your job? And Simon Sinek talks about, like, let's switch that to why, like, why are we here? Why are you going to be inspired to work at this place every day? And employees are welcomed. Like lots of businesses have these whole first day setups planned out from start to end to show the employees and inspire them on why they're there and kind of win them over and give them a glimpse of like, you've made the right decision. You've come to work here and you're going to be inspired. You're going to inspire other people. You're going to be working in collaborative environments. Like it's your first day should be wow, I'm so happy I made this decision to come work here. And we want that same thing to be with our students. Like we want them to not because they made a decision to be in class because they probably didn't. They have to be there. But you want them walking out going like, I viewed math class a certain way all the way up to this moment. And wow, like, I think this is actually going to be different. I think I'm in the right 
place. I'm not going to be like, oh man, here's another math class. Like I don't want my students thinking that anymore. I want them to be like, I'm reborn. You know, I want them to think that all their past math experiences up to this moment, you know, it shaped who they are and what they believe about math class. But at that moment, I want to help them see that math doesn't have to be exactly like it was before if they had a terrible experience. I want to build their trust. We want to inspire them with curiosity. And we want to paint them a picture for the first day of class. Like that's kind of what we want to share here as our big idea in this episode, right? Kyle, like we want to do these three things, inspire curiosity on day one, build student trust and support them and tell them about support and paint them a picture of what that first day should look like. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12, setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Yeah, absolutely. I think you did a great job, John, talking about like starting with the why and then dealing with the what. And again, that's like a Simon Sinek statement. He also has another book called Start With Why. So again, like diving into some of the same ideas from Leaders Eat Last, except the Leaders Eat Last book really goes into this idea of like how to be a true leader. And actually, I've taken that advice from Leaders Eat Last where at every workshop that we run, and John, you know that I'm like a stickler for this, like I will not go into that line to take food until every single person in the place has grabbed their food. So sometimes I get like not the best pickings of the lunch. And that's just what leaders are supposed to do. And, you know, that's the way things are in the Navy. I think it was the Navy they had referenced or Simon Sinek had referenced in that book about how, you know, the lieutenants, the captains, you know, the leaders actually eat last. They make sure that all of their people are taken care of first, and then they take care of themselves. And that really is something that I'm trying to become more aware of. And that's like one place that I've at least started. So like starting with the why and then dealing with the what, the trouble that we have, I think just it's a human nature thing where we just assume everyone believes what we believe, right? So it's really easy for us to come in on day one and just suddenly teach the what? Tell the kids like what we're going to be doing because we all assume it's like, well, of course, you know why you're here. You're here to learn math. We're here because you need to do this or that or the next thing. But the difference is, is that every single teacher has different beliefs. Some are only slight, but some are very, very large and vast. 
when we think about the different beliefs that we can all have about what it means to learn mathematics, especially in school, like what we're actually doing here in order to get kids ready, supposedly, for that next step in their learning journey. So again, we really want students, we want to build their trust because without trust, like if we don't make that non-threatening classroom environment apparent to students and making sure that they all feel like this is an inclusive environment so that every student in that classroom feels like this is where they belong, then really nothing else we do is going to matter. So if we really focus on that first day, like those are probably the biggest ones for me is how do I make sure that students know that I am not just here because I have to be here. It's because I want to be here and I want them to be here. You know, John, you've mentioned it on the podcast a number of times, like even just things like loosening up on when students are absent, uh, especially students who are constantly absent. We used to like come down on those students. We would be like, no, you know, on the first day we set this procedure and we said like, if you miss this, this would happen. Or if this happened, then that would happen. Well, for some students that just doesn't work. And we can try our best to try to help bring them into that sort of mold or that idea of what we think will be helpful for them to be as effective or as successful as possible in our class. But we have to make sure that they feel like we want them to be there. So those are big ones for us. John, what are some things like on the first day that might help us with sort of moving away from just these like rules and procedures? Because that was something I would do, like literally list the rules and procedures. If you do this, then that will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. Like what are some other things that we might consider doing at least on the first day? And I guess a mindset about how do we build in the procedures because we obviously don't want class to just be sort of like willy-nilly students can do whatever they want and whatever they want like we do need some procedures and rules in place we'd like to call them norms I feel like norms is a little bit more of a softer sound to those things. But like, when should those be coming out? Like, is that something we do right when we walk in the door or right before the first day ends? Or like, when do you try to build in these sort of norms throughout your classroom? Yeah. And I think there's a phrase too, Kyle, that some teachers have used. And I think I've used before too. It's that phrase, you're not supposed to smile till Christmas time. You'd always say that because you'd say like, we got to make sure that we are hard on day one and that we set the boundaries and we set the limits and we're not wishy-washy because the kids will walk all over us. And, you know, there's some truth to some of that, too, because uh, we're not saying that we're not wishy-washy or we don't want to set some limits and set some boundaries because we definitely do. But I think it's just how we do that is the difference that we used to do. Like before, we just say day one, we're doing all this stuff and here's the procedures of what class will look like. but what we want to share here today is kind of like activities that we get into right off the bat. And to answer your question, Kyle, we get through, say, parts of the syllabus at different times, and it doesn't all have to be dealt with on day one. And we are big fans of jumping into activities right off the bat. That's what we want to share with you here today, because if you jump into the activities right off the bat, some of these things from your syllabus will come out on day one. Some will come out on day two. Some will come out the following week. Like when you want to talk about who goes to the bathroom, well, you talk about that when someone asks to go to the bathroom. It doesn't have to be all laid out on day one. If you want to talk about what a test or a quiz or assessment is going to look like, you could talk about that when that comes up, like the actual formalities, you know, the actual 
techniques or mechanics around what it will actually look like and sound like on close to those days. It doesn't all have to be done on day one. So the don't smile till Christmas part is that we're not being wishy-washy. We want to show students on day one, what math is about. And, you know, for us, we want to paint them that picture. We want to show them that we're here for support. We want to talk about we're here for math class and it's about growth. And we want to set firm limits and expectations on that day. And we can do that through activities and not say just our words. You know, and part of it is we want to set the bar high. We want them to rise to that level and we want to show them that they can get there. So it's about changing their beliefs It's about saying we're going to be supportive and we can do all of that with action. We can do all of that through activities themselves. Yeah, great point, sir, John. I couldn't agree more that instead of taking all of those ideas, like just imagine this, you're a student, you come in or let's pretend that you're a teacher coming to a new district and you sit down on day one and a superintendent standing there. And for the entire 75 minutes that you're in this meeting, the superintendent is just telling you all the rules of the district. Like, sure, because it's your job, you're probably going to be frantically writing things down and highlighting and doing all kinds of things. At the end of the day, you're probably going to walk out of there and you're probably not going to be super inspired. Like, if anything, you might actually be a little bit scared. Like, oh man, there's a lot of rules and things that I don't want to do. It's essentially kind of stopping you in your tracks. You almost don't want to do anything because if you do something, you might do something wrong. And we don't want students to come into our class thinking like, wow, there are 50 rules that I just heard and I don't even remember them. So imagine if I talk about the bathroom procedure and then I give five more procedures, well, guess what? The bathroom procedure isn't learned. Like now it's just stated. And now it's almost like you've put them in a position where if they don't follow that procedure, now they're wrong. (laughs) You know, like we're putting them in a bad spot. So like you said, I like this idea of allowing them to kind of come out when we need to. Something that I always sort of address as sometimes students will ask this question. Typically, this would be like probably near the end of this first day, but they might ask about like assessment and evaluation. We'll talk about that as well, because I think getting into an activity where kids can actually get up, do some collaboration and essentially get their curiosity sparked so that they can see what it feels like to do some learning in this type of environment is really key. And for me, there's two ways you can go. Like you can dive straight into a really exciting math activity, which I think is great, or it might be something that isn't necessarily math specific. One that I'll give here, and I'm not suggesting we're putting this first because you should or have to do this, but one that I have used in the past, I don't use it every year. Typically, I do this more with my older students, especially students who are grade 11 and 12 and are heading into university. I want them to understand how the brain works. So at the beginning of the year, this first day, what I've done in the past is I would have them remember a list of items. Like I would essentially tell them, like, I'm going to ensure that every single one of you in this room memorize a list of items, 10 items in total that are all unrelated. And I don't tell them much more than that. We just dive in and they're sort of intrigued. Some kids are like, I can't remember more than like three things at a time, all of these things, right? So kids' beliefs are now coming out to the forefront. And I can see who's like, okay, you're a memorizer over there. You're like, yeah, I'm pretty confident. I bet you I could memorize this list over here. This student's like, no, like I can't memorize anything, right? They're beating themselves up over it. Gives me a little bit of a diagnostic to understand their own beliefs of their self and their abilities and their own strengths and weaknesses when it comes to things like memorization. 
And the intent here, it's actually using the PEG system. So we'll put a link to an article. It's not necessarily the article that inspired me to do this. I actually saw a gentleman. I was on a vacation somewhere and he actually did this with a group of about 500 people. And I was like, fascinated. I was early in my teaching career. And basically he said, yeah, I'm going to help you memorize this list of 10 items. The idea was like, I'll help you remember your grocery list without having to write anything down. I was just fascinated. So I went in and it was fantastic. And the idea is he uses this thing called the peg system, where you essentially peg items with ideas and mnemonics. So he would make this list of one to 10 and he would have a rhyming word that goes with each number. So like one, the rhyming word is gun, two is shoe, three is tree and so on and so forth. So you'd have this list of 10. You could go beyond 10. He has strategies for that as well, but we just do it with 10. And the idea was I would help them with this list by helping them paint a picture in their mind by visualizing the item in the list related to the peg word. So for example, for one gun, the idea was cruise ship. All right. So in their mind, we would say, okay, like, so you're picturing, you know, we'd say one gun and we'd say, okay, so visualize this gun and it's this giant gun. You look at this gun and all of a sudden the gun points at you and you can see right down the barrel of that gun. And all of a sudden, what comes out of the end of that gun? The kids are like a cruise ship. And you're like, yes, can everyone visualize that? Shut your eyes and visualize that. And through this visualization and association of associating the cruise ship with a gun. And then with shoe, it was like diamonds. It was like, you're picturing this beautiful brand new pair of shoes. What's your favorite color? You picture that color. Great. And you know, what's right on the end of this shoe is diamonds, these huge group of diamonds. Can you picture it? So it was all about association. And at the end, every kid in the class, even those students who say like, I can't memorize anything. They're saying, wow, I know this list of 10 items. Here's the consolidation. Here's like the fuel sense making part of this activity. I'm not trying to tell kids that math's going to be about memorization. What I'm telling them is that our brains, the way they work is through association and connections. And we just connected completely unrelated things together through visualization. The beauty of math is you don't even have to do that because things in math are already connected. They're already associated, but only if we understand how it works. So that's where the conceptual understanding comes in. So we have this talk about memorization versus automaticity. The one through 10 list we just did, we memorized those and we made connections, like we made fake connections in order to help us remember them. Whereas in math class, we could do something that's more like automaticity and we'll attach a cheat sheet to this episode. I have a memorization versus automaticity cheat sheet. That's great for helping, especially parents understand like the difference between memorizing, say, math facts and automaticity where I know my math facts, but I also know how they all interact. To relate and how I can modify and work within them. So for me, that activity is such a great way to not only get beliefs out on the table, like to see what kids believe about their own abilities, but then we also get to actually teach them a little bit about how the brain works and the beauty of how our brains are wired to learn mathematics because those connections and associations are already sitting there on a platter for us. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? 
Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. You know, I really like that because I think when you students are coming into math class, they imagine that math class always done this a certain way. And that's just the way math class is done. And I like that you're starting with like, you know, we're not necessarily talking about how math class is going to change, but you're talking about how their brain works so that when you do talk about how math class is going to change about, you know, the difference between memorization and automaticity, that they can understand that. And that's like the reasoning behind why some of these changes are going to happen from their past experiences. And I think that's great because you are talking about why, kind of like equated back to that business onboarding process of showing up to your job to talk about why you're there and why we want to inspire instead of the how. So that's great. Similar to that, that I do to talk about why and some of our math beliefs. Uh, I've got two that I, I use on a regular basis. And one we've talked about here in the podcast before, actually, when Dan Finkel was on, he talked about a simple game, the game of NIM. And if you've been in any of our live workshops, there's a lot of times that we start off that workshop with playing the game of NIM, which is a simple game. And I'll explain it here and I'll talk about how I've done it with my classes the game actually works like this. You have to imagine, or you can have sticks or, or any sort of objects. And we start with, say, 21 objects in a pile. And you take turns between one and two players. And you can take between one and three sticks out of the pile. So one, two, or three. And when it's your turn. And then your opponent will also have the exact same choice. And the winner of the game is the person that takes the last stick or group of sticks from the pile. And so you take turns taking sticks from the pile. And whoever wins takes that last stick. So we've played this. I say in our live workshop, but with my students, I'll play that on day one and I'll put $5 down on the table on day one. It'll say like, you know what? Let's play a game. I am actually the world champion at this game. And if anyone here beats me at this game, I will give them the $5. And so we play this game and take one or two or three sticks from the pile. And then I end up winning the game and I keep my money. And why I win the money is because there is a winning strategy to this game. I'll let you think about the winning strategy. I'm not going to spoil it here for you yet. And so what I do at that point is I just played the game with one student. And now I ask them to go to their wall space. So around the room, I have vertical wall whiteboard set up around the room. I usually have about enough in the room for one whiteboard between one and three kids, or sorry, two and three kids could be working at a board. And I have them play the game with the partner in a group of three. And I have them experience that, but I give them the challenge of, I want you to think about the moves that I made to win the game. What are important moves? What are not important moves? When has it become important? I'm trying to encourage them to discover the winning strategy here. So, you know, there's a little bit of curiosity, but we're kind of talking about or getting them to think about how we can fuel their sense making on that game. And so they go to the boards and they play this game. And then after one or two games they play, we talk about if does anyone have a winning strategy? And so after they play that game a few times, we summarize the winning strategy. Usually some students will bring out that four is an important number to hit, because if you hit four, then there's not much that person can do to take the last stick. And so why we play that game is because 
like you talked about, Kyle, that we have a discussion about the beliefs of why we're learning math class, because I share that game with my students the same way I've shared here on the podcast and also in our live workshop that when I think about playing that game, there is if that person, like the teacher at the front, like me, like no one could take five bucks from me because I knew the winning strategy. I knew all the moves that the kids were going to make. It doesn't matter what moves they made. I was always going to win that game because I knew the winning strategy. And the student who was playing that game first, trying to win my $5, didn't know the winning strategy or I assumed they didn't know the winning strategy. And they were making moves blindly. They were kind of like, I'm not sure if I should take one stick out of the pile yet or two sticks or three sticks. I'm not sure because it's too far away from the end to see how that's going to play out. So they're kind of making blind moves early on. And I share with my students that that's kind of like how math class has been in the past, that there's the teacher who knows all the moves that the kids need to make in order to be successful. And the teacher knows all the moves that they need to make, like the teacher themselves, to help the students be successful. And the students kind of don't see that big picture. They don't see how things are all tied together. I don't see how that's going to play out. So the students are kind of blindly following the rules or blindly following the procedures in math class, hoping that there's a good outcome in the end just kind of like the game. And if you know the winning strategy, you can win the game. So we talk about knowing the why behind stuff instead of just following procedures blindly. And that helps our students kind of see that why, just kind of like you're helping your students see that why, Kyle. I love this opportunity, like not only you'd mentioned like curiosity and getting them to fueling their sense making, but throughout that being super explicit about our beliefs of how we're going to learn math class. Like we aren't just going to tell you answers. Like it would have been so easy. Like some people think and they say, well, I don't have enough time to do some of these things. Like that's why I give kids this note and I just tell them everything. And the reality is, is that nobody cares when they're told. Like if we just showed them the game and then we didn't give them any time to play or to think about it and actually investigate it or inquire, they don't care about the rule. Like we could tell them the rule. And just like we could tell you the rule on the podcast right now, it's actually, we could do it in one sentence. Like it's very, very, I don't want to say it's simple because there's some complexity in order to discover it, but then it's super simple once you understand it. And that's just the whole point is that we don't want to actually tell kids about it because they're not going to be interested. Like the curiosity is then dead. And even in our live workshop, as well as our online workshop, our workshop that will be relaunching here this coming September, in that workshop, we could just tell people the answer. And sometimes people want you to, right? Like you get people saying like, okay, come on, like, just tell me. But that takes away all of the enjoyment. Like the purpose of doing it is now gone. It wouldn't be interesting at all. So I find that really interesting. So that's a great one. Starting off with some sort of game that helps with the mathematical thinking. How about the next one here, John? You've got another one that's a really good way to, we talked about kind of like diagnostics. Like for me, I was like about memory and what kids believe they're capable of in terms of their thinking and how their brains work. You had game of NIM, which also gives you a little bit of, it helps you see which kids are like willing to investigate and which ones sort of give up pretty quickly, which many times in math class, like a lot of students tend to have that sort of the give upness, like they don't have that grit that we're looking for. And that's something for us to consider. How else can we uncover some of the beliefs about mathematics on this first day so that we know our students and we can actually start framing our lessons around that to help shift that into more of a productive belief? 
I think you bring up a good point here, too, that the activities that we're suggesting also, they give you a glimpse by you watching the students and how they perform through these activities. You're getting a glimpse of how they are, like what their beliefs are, what their resilience is. And you're also going to see that some math concepts do come out of here. You'll get a glimpse of how they're going to do or what math concepts and stuff they bring with them to the classroom. So you are assessing right off the bat by watching them. You understand so much more about your students when they're doing the activities than, say, just giving them the rules of the class and the syllabus for the day. So this other one that I like to do, and I've been doing this every semester since I started teaching, and I learned it when I was in teacher's college. My professor did that for us on our day one, and I've really enjoyed it and I've liked it. So this one is, it's a very simple idea. You can do it on a piece of paper, or I usually have them do it on the inside of a name tent so that I can read them later. And then, then I like to hand them back later at the end of the year, like the last day of the year. So it's simple. You just have them complete the phrase, math is like. So I write math is like on the board and I write dot, dot, dot. And then I say, you complete this phrase, but it's best done with a word like math is like, and then say one thing like math is like, and then you have to write one sentence after that. So the example I usually give to my students is math is like a roller coaster. Sometimes there's ups, sometimes there's downs. Sometimes it makes you feel sick, but you'll make it back to the gate usually. So I give that to my students as an example, and then they come up with their own. And I say, you know, it can be positive, it can be negative. I want you to say what you feel math is like. I give them some time to think about them. And I, you know, a tip is like, write down what you think first and then figure out the sentence after. So here's a couple that my students have written over the years. Math is like tying your shoes. For the first time, it's hard, but you'll get it soon. Or math is like a pen. It clicks. Math is like steak. It's best when it's well done. Math is like a sport. The more you practice, the more rewarding it is. Math is like soup. Everything builds to make the right taste. Or math is like riding a unicycle, juggling three monkeys while playing a harmonica and balancing a can of paint on your head. You have no idea what you're doing and why, and you're probably going to make a fool of yourself doing it. Or math is like wrestling. No matter win or lose, you'll still get punched in the face to get there. So when students write these, you're going to get a variety of different beliefs of what they think math is like. And we share them out. Uh, for any who would like to share them out, I don't, it's not a mandatory that you have to read these out loud. We usually get a chuckle out of them, but then we definitely talk about that we all have different beliefs on what math is like. And part of this year will be thinking about changing that. Like we will hope that some of these change over the time if they're negative, because some of them will be negative and some of them will be positive. So it's a way for you to understand where these students are coming from and how they're feeling about math before you get going. So I love that. And then, like I said, on the very last day of class, so I keep them and the very last day of class, I hand them back and have them comment on if they've changed their minds or not, or they feel the same. So it's a great way to end the year too, is have them rethink about math as like and create a new one. So that's one that I've been doing every year, every semester since uh, I've started teaching. And I think it's a great one to include on your very first day. It doesn't take very long either, but it does set the stage for you to talk about beliefs.
That's fantastic. I, I love to like even being able to take one or two or, you know, maybe a handful of them, assuming the students are comfortable with it and being able to kind of build off of some of them. Like one that caught my ear right away was the one around tying shoes. You know, you had mentioned, you know, it's hard at first and then, you know, it, it's something along the lines of, you know, it sort of just becomes automatic over time. And I use tying shoes as a great example for kids to understand too that in math, we want to build that fluency where we can kind of do things without having to really like think about them. But the one thing that we don't ever want to lose is the how we got there. And that's an example I use because I am one of those kids, one of those kids, I'm no longer a kid, I might think like a kid. But uh, when I tie my shoes, and you might be like me, like I memorized how to tie my shoelaces, like I didn't understand anything. You know, I was in Cub Scouts and all those things. But I was never one who was really good with visualizing like knots and things like that. And I tie my shoes. If I lose like a spot or like one little thing goes array, like I have to go to the beginning and start over. And we don't want that to be math for the kids in your class. Like we don't want them to be like, oh, geez, I got to go back to step one and follow this list of steps where there's like no ability for them to be flexible within there. So, you know, I feel like those responses kids give are a great way to kind of continue that discussion in the classroom to kind of like, it's not like in day one, you're going to be able to shift kids beliefs like this is going to be something that's going to take you all year to help kids shift their beliefs through the actions and through what we do in our classroom. But one thing that we can do is we can take what they're saying and we can agree, like show that we hear them and then also try to kind of be really explicit about our own beliefs as the teacher. Like, I want kids to know what I believe math to be, and they probably aren't going to care about it too much if I just sit there and tell them for, you know, and do a big soliloquy about it. If I relate my beliefs to what they're telling me their beliefs are, then they get to know me a little bit better and they start to see like, wow, this particular math teacher believes this, this and that. And maybe that resonates with them. Maybe it doesn't, but at least they know me and like we're building that trust. So I really like that. And then right after that activity, or something like it where you're bringing beliefs to the table and you're trying to learn more about your students and you're letting them learn more about you. It sounds like for you and I, John, like this is something you and I are very consistent with is getting into a task. And like, we're not handing out the syllabus and we know you probably have to hand out a syllabus at some point in that first week. But that first day, like we want to get into a math activity and we're not doing like, okay, friends, we're going to review fractions or we're going to review something from the previous year, we're going to get into a problem solving task. And for us, nothing better than picking something like a three act math task or like something from Joel Bowler's week of inspirational math. Like there's tons of great stuff out there. We're not going to tell you what task to do. But I know for me personally, some tasks I've used, I typically switch them up year to year, kind of whichever task is kind of like, you know, I'm curious about and I'm excited to try. But I've used counting candies before. We'll put these links in the resources. Doritos roulette's a really fun one, and it really helps you understand which kids are thinking additively and which kids are thinking multiplicatively and being able to like kind of see what they are bringing to the table without it being like this formal assessment or review. And I know, John, like a big one for you on the first day is R2D2. Are there any other ones that on the first day you find are really good hits with kids because they have such a low floor, high ceiling, and are like super curious, right? We want to make sure that first one 
is super curious so that kids are like, wow, this is actually going to be interesting this year to learn about math. Yeah, I do R2-D2 task with my ninth graders when we're getting into talking to start off. Because like you said, it's a low floor, high ceiling task. It helps to set the norms for the classroom. We want to create that inclusivity. We want to show them that we're valuing curiosity, struggle, and growth. So it's a great one for me to do. I do that with my ninth graders. Here are a couple others that I've tried in other grades. Like Fawn Wynn has, I've learned it from Fawn Wynn anyway, which is a Noah's Ark problem. Again, we're going to put all the links into the show notes so you can see what we're talking about here and access these. But Fawn Wynn's Noah's Ark problem shows a whole bunch of different animals and they have to get on the ark, but the ark has to, you know, it can't be tipped over one way or the other. So it has to balance out on both sides to keep it balanced. And so there's like elephants on one side and also horses and other animals. And it's kind of like each line has to balance and you have to figure out what a seal weighs, I believe what is equivalent to like a seal way. So it's like getting at that this idea as a teacher, you know, this is getting at the idea of kind of a system of equations and balancing. But it looks so complex to start. And what I love about Fawn's resources, too, is that there's a page that comes with it. You can cut out all the little polar bears and you can move them around so you can get that balancing of making sure things are on both sides. I really love that task um, because you can have it in groups so that students are working together, which is what we want to show on day one, too, is that math class is going to be collaborative. Peter Lillidal, I've seen it on his site. He has a number of great activities that geared towards this thinking classroom. So working together in groups, working vertically at the whiteboards around the room. I believe, Kyle, correctly, is this task is also in Joe Bowler's Week of Inspirational Math, which is the four fours problem, which has always been a big one on day one that using only fours in any operations you like. I'll start to create all the numbers. Like, how can you represent one using only fours and different operations and two and then three? And then how far can you go? Peter's site, I believe, has like, can you do it up to 30? And then I believe that you can keep going, like represent all the numbers up to 100 using the four fours or how high can you represent numbers using the four fours? I believe that's also in Joe Bowler's, right, Kyle? Yeah, absolutely. And that Joe Bowler link that we will share, we say it's a Joe Bowler link. It's the U-Cubed link. So she has a team at, at U-Cubed, but obviously everyone listening is probably very well aware of Joe Bowler and her being on the episode number 10 with us. Definitely check out that. Her resources started as a week of inspirational math, and now it's like weeks of inspirational math because they've sort of built it out from there. And definitely some great things to pick. And I'm hoping people are getting the sense that we're not saying day one has to look this way or that way or the next thing. It's just, I think the big piece for us coming back to what is the big idea that you want kids, like essentially your learning goal for day number one. It's a big one because we're setting the tone for the entire year. And I used to have nightmares the day before school. I'd say, you know, I wouldn't sleep because I'd wake up and it was like my kids were running the class and I had no control and they were throwing things at me and all of these like horrible things that our brains, you know, sort of like plant into our minds and they were showing in my sleep. Now what I realize is like, no, like when I start this year off in such a positive way, it eliminates so many of those things 
things that I was so fearful of early in my career, right? Like losing control or what do I do when a kid does this? And those are all things you got to be thinking about. And you have to have like, what are you going to do when those things happen? Because regardless of whether I set a procedure and tell them up front or whether I'm helping address them as they come up in the first couple of weeks, at the end of the day, it's like you do need to be thinking about it and figure out what am I going to do if and when those things happen, but also doing it in such a way that it doesn't undermine all of the other things that I've tried to instill in my students within that first day, that first week, that first month. So like, this is a big deal. Like the first day of school is a big deal. And I think if we shift our thinking and our mindset to focusing more on building that mindset or that we'll call it the beliefs, those productive beliefs in math class, helping kids build a trust that they know and like they know that you want them to be there with them and that you care about their success in math class. It's so much harder for a student, even that student who traditionally has been a behavior issue, maybe has a behavior plan or has a lot of things going on at home. It's like, man, the best cure, we're not saying it cures all, but like the best cure for that is showing kids that you care right? Especially when they try to test you. And a lot of times those kids, first day of school, they're going to try to test you right away. And they're going to try to see if you're like all the rest. And in their mind, they're thinking all the rest like that don't care about me, even though all those other teachers cared. I'm not saying they didn't. We're all trying our best here, but it's like, how can I respond to make sure that that student knows that, okay, this student's testing me right now. And this is a big test because what I do here and how I respond is going to really influence not only that student's response the rest of the year, but also like the class takes that, right? And they see that and they go, oh, okay. So you said all these other things about your beliefs and how, you know, you care and all these things, but then this just happens. So those are things for us to think about. So for me, it's like pick those tasks that are going to help you get to that end goal of building trust helping kids see what your beliefs are as a math educator, like what matters to you? Does speed matter to you? Does memorizing steps and one way to get there matter to you? Like if those things matter to you, then right away, you're telling certain kids that, yeah, this is probably not going to be a great place for you. But if it's like, man, we're, we learn from failure here. There's multiple strategies to get there that all strategies are valid strategies and that I'm going to help try to push your strategies to the next place in your own individual learning journey, not where the class is as a whole. Like those are really, really important things for us to pull out. And the best way for us to do that is learning about kids and then also engaging in some problem solving, sparking that curiosity right away. Mm -hmm. When we talk about creating this culture of like you are as a teacher is showing what you believe, like we just talked about that. But what else are we doing to structure our classroom to help students understand that collaborative environments are going to be used on a regular basis? Or how are our students going to be shown that they need to value each other's opinions in discussions? And Cal, what are you doing to help do that? Like, what are you doing in your classroom or what can we be doing in our classroom to show kids that we're going to be working with each other and setting up that collaborative environment? Because we know that students, if they feel comfortable in the room with each other, not only just a teacher, right? Like they have to feel comfortable with each other so that they can flourish because there's no way that that student can flourish and share their thinking if they do not know the person sitting beside them or feel comfortable with that person sitting beside them. So Cal, what do you think is a good strategy and technique to help facilitate that? Yeah, I'm so glad I was 
all ready to wrap up there, John. And uh, I'm so happy that you brought this up because I completely forgot to mention it. But this is something that we don't want to wait too long in the school year before we start getting kids working collaboratively. So when we do get into a problem solving situation that first day, helping kids to get up and out of their comfort zone, because what better time than on the first day of school where like no kids are super comfortable unless, you know, by chance their best friend or a good group, like their inner group of friends that they hang out with after school or on the weekends, you know, that might happen where they're in your class. But in many cases, it doesn't happen that way. And they sort of they come to class, they're sitting down next to some random people. And it's like, okay, and then throughout that class, they start to build a little bit of comfort. And then the longer that they just come to class and sit next to those people, it's like they get into that comfort zone where now it's like, oh, I don't want to ever be in a position where I'm not next to the people I'm normally next to. Um, Whether you use a seating plan or not, or whatever you choose to do in that regard, that builds a bit of a comfort zone where students might not be as open to collaborating with different people in the class. So we're big on doing the visible random grouping. This is something that Peter Lildehall has some research pieces and white papers on. We'll add some links to the show notes about that. For me, I did it pretty basic. Like the key was, is like when kids came into class, how do we help them know that I haven't preset the groups? And I want to be clear here because there's certain scenarios where grouping by where students are, I don't want even want to say ability because it's not about ability. It's about where they are in their mathematical journey for small group instruction. Absolutely. If you're going to be sitting with a group of students, it's a great idea to get a couple kids that are in a similar place. That also means if I'm doing small group instruction, that I'm not just working with students who are struggling the same group all the time, that I'm actually giving some of that attention to all students in the class. And I can do that to help move those students forward. But when we're problem solving, this means we haven't pre-taught all the rules, steps, and procedures, which means a student who typically is pretty strong in your class and a student who's not as strong, they're on the same playing field when they get access to these tasks. And if you're following the curiosity path, something that we've highlighted a number of times in the first few episodes, as well as our episode, I think it was number 20, I think it might have been 19, episode 19, where we talk about our four strategies for helping students start problems and stick with them. Like the curiosity path has elements in it that ensures that you can't have a student who's more, we'll call it like a higher achiever in your class, go ahead and solve the whole problem. Like they're going to have to actually work through this together. So get them into random groups. And one way, like I did pretty low hanging fruit. I just took a deck of cards and You know, if I wanted groups of three, I had my three twos, my three threes, my three fours, my three aces, and so on. And I would have them in a pile. Kids would come into class. They pick a random card out of my hand. So they knew they were the one picking. It wasn't me picking. And that's where they would go. And that's where they would hang out for the day. So now it's forcing them to kind of build and do a little bit of icebreakers the first week of school with different groups and different kids in the class so they could collaborate on problems together. And that is a great way for them while they're already a little bit nervous, they're already not set into like a super comfortable situation, get them up 
get them learning with different kids in the class so that they can build trust with one another. So we not only want kids to trust us and us to trust them, but we want them to trust each other. And this is such a great way. John, I know that you've kind of extended the grouping cards situation from just like regular playing cards. And you actually have something that you've created and you use and many people have downloaded from your website. And I'm sure you'll put in the show notes. Tell us more about those. Yeah, we created a set of cards that you can do multiple different groups, but also like on the fly, reshuffle those groups without having to grab all the cards and then redistribute the cards. That was kind of the primary reason that we built this kind of deck of cards because we were primarily just using playing cards to regroup students or group students. But these uh, have kind of three to four different ways that you can group students. There are small little cards that you can print out and laminate and distribute around the room. Uh, so you can get those at, we'll put my website or we'll definitely put a link down below how you can get a copy of those cards. So uh, I like all of the resources we've been sharing here today. You can get to the show notes page and grab the links for all of this stuff. And we've got a ton of links that we probably can't even get to, eh, Kyle? So we'll just add those to the show notes page. So not only the links that we've discussed here already, you can get there, but we will have more. So for example, there's a couple more I'll just mention, but you can go there and look. And like another resource is I created 30 days in a row of one minute videos for my classroom. So you can see what the first 30 days look like from my classroom last year, one minute clips of me talking about what that day looked like. So you can go there and have a look at 30 days in a row. We're going to put a link to the Marble Slides Challenge from Sean Sweeney, which is super awesome challenges for graphing uh, run through Desmos. So Sean Sweeney's put together from Marble Slides Challenges. I use this on day one to give out to my students and it's ongoing all year as a set of challenges. The link we're going to share here today is from Sarah Vanderwerf. She does name tense, uh, which is helps you build the trust factor in your room because she has a sheet that you can attach to your name tent or print out on your name tent so that students can ask the teacher questions and you can respond. So it's kind of like a dialogue that you can have with your students. It helps build trust in your room. So we'll put uh, some of those links and more on the show notes page. Kyle, are you ready to wrap up? I think we are. That was awesome. Also, I just want to mention that I also sent this question out to some folks in the Facebook group, the Math Moment Makers K through 12 Facebook group. We had lots of really cool ones come back. You know, a lot of people like replying and saying follow because like they're obviously interested in learning about what other people are doing. So definitely get into the Facebook group and check that out. There's a post there. Like, for example, uh, Mickey Gibbs says that they do like things to know. You know, it sounds like zooms through just a few things, like some details about the class, but then they dive right in into a would you rather so that's would you rather math.com that's a john stevens resource super cool the one that she is recommending is the cheese it's one so she has that in the facebook group so we'll link to that as well mindy green recommends the broken circles task from sarah carter and has included and john will include the link both in that facebook group as well as in the show notes page so lots of stuff going on there head to facebook and then just search for Math Moment Makers, and you'll see our Facebook group. We have like, I don't know, like 12, 1300 people in that group now. Lots of people doing some sharing there, which is 
awesome. The other thing that I'll mention is that in the show notes, we'll have some downloadable cheat sheets as well. So for example, I mentioned the automaticity versus memorization cheat sheet. So there's lots and lots of resources. So be sure to check out the show notes page for this particular episode, which is episode 36. So that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 36. John, let's wrap this thing up. You got it. So all the resources that we shared here today and the ideas on the first day can be summarized up into kind of three big things that Kyle and I think about all the way through our courses and our classes, and especially on the first day we want to share with our students. And that is trying to inspire curiosity right from the get-go and talk about beliefs that everyone can do math regardless of the past. So we shared some activities to help you do that. We've shared some activities on how you can build trust in your classroom because collaboration and mathematical discourse are valuable to learning math at a deeper level. Building trust is also great for showing students that you support them and how that can be shown through your assessment and evaluations policies. All of that is done with painting them a picture, right? Like we want to paint them a picture on day one of what class will look like regularly. Are you painting them a picture of what your class will look like regularly on the first day or are you doing something different? So we want to make sure that you are painting them a picture of what it should look like. Awesome. Awesome. So those sound like three big ideas. And again, if those are front of mind as you plan that first day, that first week, and then the next thing you know, you'll be midway through the school year and you're going to be living and breathing these things as core pieces, like core beliefs in what math class is all about. So as we're recording this, it's summertime for John and I, but very soon we'll be back in school, ready to rock. I know some of our US friends are already gearing up. Some might already be back in school, you know, setting up classrooms and so on and so forth. If you're looking for a place to build on these ideas and build on the beliefs and all of the different pieces that John and I are really, really pitching in this particular podcast series, where we spark curiosity in our students, we fuel sense-making, and we ignite our next moves for each and every lesson. We do have our online workshop launching first week of October. I think we're going to start actually registration in September. So you could check that out at makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. And also we have an ongoing academy. Many of the people who take the online workshop want to continue diving into these ideas. So they stick with us in our ongoing Academy. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash academy, where you can learn more about that. You don't have to do the workshop to dive into the academy. However, with the timing being that the academy or the, sorry, the workshop is about to launch again, we do feel like that's like your best way to get fully emerged. And then we continue that community inside of the academy. So Hopefully, we'll see some more of our friends inside of the workshop coming up this fall. Awesome job, Kyle. Awesome job. As always, how will you reflect on what you've heard from this episode? Have you written ideas down, drawn a sketch note, sent out a tweet, called a colleague? Be sure to engage in some sort of reflection to ensure the learning you've had here is sticking. And while you're at it, head over to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast giveaway 
Also, the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast is excited to bring you another giveaway. Last time, we had the Corwin Book Giveaway. This time, it's with White Book. The great friends Toby and Frank at White Book are offering some flip charts up for grab. That is right. You can easily post whiteboards anywhere in your room and easily bring them with you if you're like John and I who are doing workshops all over the place. White Book is offering you the Math Moment Maker community, the chance to win one of five flip chart packs. Plus, if you don't want to chance it, they're giving you a 50% off discount on flip chart packs for everyone who enters the giveaway. So once you enter the giveaway, you'll gain access to how you can actually take advantage of that 50% off discount. You can get in on this giveaway and take advantage of the discount if you so choose by visiting makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway by Wednesday, August 28th. 2019. If you're listening after Wednesday, August 28, 2019, don't worry about it. We are always actively running giveaways. So check out makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway to learn about the current giveaway we have running. Don't miss out. Dive in at makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes as they come out each week, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. And also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share the podcast with a colleague and help us reach an even wider audience by leaving us a review on iTunes and tweet us your biggest takeaway by tagging at Make Math Moments on Twitter. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 36. Again, that is makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 36. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's, it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook 
after completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.